Live. Live from This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. We're New York Sports Talk. I'm a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a good show for you this week. We are wrapping up NFL Draft Month here on the podcast. We are doing our NFL Draft Recap with Joe D'Alessio, the host of the Sharp Chatter Podcast. Joe and I are going to break down all the headlines from the NFL Draft, the winners, the losers, how the locals did, what the heck's going on with Aaron Rodgers. That's all going to happen with Joe in the podcast today. We're also going to dive into the fan forum this week, our annual NFL draft edition, where we speak to fans from opposing from various teams to see how their squads did during the draft, get some takes on this. We will it down to six this year. We've done some years. We've done as many as nine or ten. I want to give you the cream of the crops here, the most interesting teams, in my opinion. Both locals will be there. We'll see who else is there in the fan forum as well. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast for this week's pop culture segment. We're going to be joined by our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rose. A bit, bit of a layoff for Sam, but good to get her back in the mix here. We're going to talk about season two of The Circle on Netflix, the social media-themed reality competition show. 12 of the 13 episodes have dropped. The finale is dropping on Wednesday, so we will recap the season, give you some of the highlights, give you a chance to binge it and, and get ready for this finale as it comes out, see who is going to win The Circle. But we'll get it all started with this week's opening tip, where we're going to talk about how the locals did in the draft. Right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. Let's talk about the local drafts here. We'll start with the Jets. And the Jet plan, we learned pretty quickly what Joe Douglas wanted to do here. We do go again, he was to take Zach Wilson number two, and he did. So that's not a surprise to build around the quarterback. The next part of the plan was, we're going to support the quarterback and make his life much easier. And they did a good job with this plan. The first big step in that direction was the trade-up from 23 to 14, giving up both their third-round picks, the one that they originally had, the one they got from Seattle and Jamal Adams trade, to go to 14, to get Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard out of USC, probably the safest offensive lineman in this draft, this side of Penny Sewell, and an awesome addition. Some of the draft boards, some of the draft makers are saying, oh my God, you can't give up all those picks for a guard. Look at all the needs the Jets have. Well, guess what? Guard's a need. And getting a guy who can be a starter on your line with probable potential for the next 12 years, I think it's a good value of a pick here. You're trying to build around a young quarterback. Remember the 2006 NFL draft, Jet fans. When the Jets were picking four, and there was talk about, oh, they should get Vince Young. They should get Reggie Bush. They should take Matt Leinart. They didn't know those things. They had two first-round picks this year. They used them both on offensive linemen. They took the British off Ferguson, number four. They took Mick Mangle late in the first round. Two offensive linemen who became stars for the Jets. Borderline Hall of Famer in Mangold's case you have two Ring of Honor Jets. They started forming the core of a team that was a Super Bowl contender. They were the first building blocks of that team because 
They were drafted 2006. 2009, the Jets are playing for a spot in the Super Bowl with those two starting on the line. Now you have Mekhi Becton. You have Elijah Vera Tucker. As the start of the massive line rebuild for the Jets, they backed it up, helping out Wilson out. They draft the wide receiver, Elijah Moore, in the second round, pick 34. You look at him, he basically fills that Debo Samuel hybrid slot role that the 49er offense has. The Jets need a speedster. Rather than giving a big contract to Curry Samuel free agency, they drafted their own version. I think that's going to be a good move, giving them another weapon to work with. They drafted an intriguing running back in the fourth round, Michael Carter out of North Carolina. Both guys, great values for where they were taken. This is also a big change for the Jets because in the past, the Jets have not put much of a premium on offensive talent in the draft. They have used the draft, as most Jets fans were frustratingly reminded for years. Outside of their quarterback picks, they were going defense, 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 defense at the top of the draft. A lot of those picks did not work out. Now, Douglas seems to understand that the league is an offensive league, and you have to help your quarterback out. So, they have gotten young talent on offense in the draft. They had some in free agency. They are giving themselves a chance to give this quarterback an opportunity to succeed. With the organization, Douglas included, mostly like McCagden and Adam Gase, failed Sam Darnold. The last few picks, I think, were interesting. You had a bunch of Darth throws at corner, at safety spots, some linebacker hybrid guys. Look at that Keanu Neal type who they wanted Keanu Neal in free agency to go from safety to linebacker. He shows us on the Cowboys. They drafted a couple guys who could fill that niche. And I like this idea because a lot of these guys have good physical traits and they can be potential contributors with better coaching. And Robert Salas, defensive wizard. We saw what he did with the 49ers last year when he did not have a ton of talent because a lot of guys were hurt. They were still a respectable unit. You can coach up some of these guys to contribute right away. It's a big win for the Jets. I think if you're a Jet fan, you have to be very happy with how this team drafted. Especially knowing that the quarterback is getting help. That's a big step. The Giants, on the other hand, they also deserve some credit for how they handle the draft. Especially when things did not go their way because they're sitting there at 11. And the consensus from the people around the industry was going, okay, they want a wide receiver. They'd be happy at the corner. And first six picks are going pretty much according to script for the Giants. Okay, great. Three quarterbacks went. Kyle Pitts has gone. We expected that. Two receivers are gone. Expected that. But then all of a sudden, you get down to pick eight. J.C. Horn goes. Pick nine. Patrick Sertan goes. Then the Cowboys are sitting at pick 10. And they say, oh, no, we don't have our corner there. What are we going to do? They trade with the Eagles. Eagles come up and steal Devontae Smith, and the Giant fans are sitting there like, what are we going to do? All our guys are gone. Now what? Is Gettleman going to reach? No. Dave Gettleman, who we've hammered for years about refusing to trade back in the draft. He finally trades back. Goes down to 20. Takes advantage of the desperate Chicago Bears who wanted to go up there and get Justin Fields. Extracts a one next year, a four next year, and a five. So getting three extra picks when there was nothing on the board the Giants wanted. Great job there, Dave. The pick at 20, I like it to a degree. Kadarius Tony he has interesting skill set. Can be a useful player. Sky reports on him say he's a bit more of a gadget guy, which those kind of guys, you need the right offensive coordinators to break the 
best out of them. Do you have that with Jason Garrett? I'm not so sure. Maybe Elijah Moore there would have been a better fit. Maybe Rashad Bateman, who goes to the Ravens later in the first round. I think those would have been better fits. But Tony's an intriguing player to help Daniel Jones out. I like that move. Then again, Dave Gellman, once he gets his fix of trading back, says, I got to do this again. This is so much fun. He moves back in the second round, a couple of picks. Snags a pass rusher, Aziz Ajulari, who most guys grade is a first-round talent. The trade, the Dolphins, also nests the Giants' extra 20-22 third-rounder, which is good. That class considered to be a much better one than this year's. The Giants also got some good value in the third. Cornerback Aaron Robinson, contributing from the nickel right away. And remember, they already have Adoree Jackson, James Bradbury on the outside. Robinson is another option to play on the slot against some of these intriguing receivers in the NFC East. He was great by some scouts. A second-round talent. Giants got him in the third. Another good value pick. The important thing to learn here at the Giants is that, and the Jets for that matter, they both have a ton of picks next year. The Giants have two ones. There's the Bears. A two. Two threes. They were only the one from the Dolphins. Two fours. They're four. The Chicago four. Five, six, seven, ten overall picks for the Giants. The Jets, on the other hand, have even more. They have two ones. Bears and Seattle's. That's the end of the Mount Adams trade. Two twos. Bears and Carolinas in the Sam Darnold trade. They have a three. Two fours. Therefore, and the Panthers four also from the Sam Darnold trade. Two fives. Bears and one from the Steelers. Three in the sixth round. Their pick, the 49er pick, and the Tampa pick. They have potential of 13 draft picks here. Both of these teams are set up very well to make big moves in the coming years. Whether it's finding talent in the draft, packaging picks to acquire a veteran who can help your team out immediately. These guys have options, and that's encouraging for these fan bases going forward, especially because it's been a while since we've had good football in this town. You guys see these teams actually figure out how to be relevant again. That's my thoughts on the locals. Let's dive deeper into the draft with Joe D'Alvizio. Right after this clip from NFL Network's Rich Eisen breaking down the first selection of the 2021 NFL Draft with Daniel Jeremiah. He's about to make the first in-person pick of this in-person draft. With the first pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trevor Lawrence, quarterback Clemson. And so the inevitable has finally become reality. Family, friends, dog, they're all happy for Trevor Lawrence, the new Jacksonville Jaguars. It's a new era of Jacksonville Jaguars football. This is a prototype player, can make every throw. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, talking the NFL draft. Join me today to break it all down, the host of the Sharp Cheddar podcast, Joe D'Alizio is here. Joe, how are you? Mike, I'm doing well. Um, if I knew you wanted to do Zoom, I would have done my hair a little bit. I look a little disheveled, but it's always a pleasure to be on the uh, Just End the Suffering podcast. So thanks again. No problem, man. You're looking sharp. No, in my in my book, anyway. Looking sharp. I like what you did there. Yeah, I had to get that plug in there. I appreciate that. Yeah. So I gotta say, we talked to you last year for the NFL draft. It was the Zoom draft. We were in Goodell's basement. This year, we're back to in person in Cleveland. So what do you think? Getting back to more normal than we were last year. Yeah, you know what? I thought it was nice that there was a crowd, right? We yep. are slowly but surely going back to normal. 
can't say we're there yet, obviously, but it's there's always something about a sporting event or any event when there's people there and um, you see all the different fan bases and everybody cheering. The one thing that I thought was really corny, though, I don't know about you, Mike, the whole Roger Goodell sit in the chair. Yeah. I mean, not for nothing. That chair did not look good on that stage. It looked good in his basement. It didn't belong on that stage, though. No, they they took the exact wrong message out of the last year's draft, where we like Goodell because he was being, you know, like old old dad Roger, who was just so you know just chilling out. Like they like putting the couch on a big stage in front of fifty five thousand people, having one person sit in it, does not a good look. No, it, it didn't look good, and and the thing that was weird about it, it just didn't belong, right? Like you have this huge mega set that was built for the draft and yeah. the tech, and then you have this random old looking couch seat it, to me it looked so strange um it belongs in his basement or his man cave whatever you want to call it it did not belong on the stage at Cleveland no it didn't and I mean it, I, they were trying to redo the magic they had the bit where he sat in the chair and and had the M&M's next to the pick I'm like it looks so wrong and like this giant cavernous space I'm sitting in one easy chair yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I think it would have been just better if, you know, here's where they I think they try to reinvent the wheel sometimes and they loved it last year, but last year it made sense and it fit the scene and it fit the mood. Um this year would have been better to just come up there and stand beside Roger Goodell and just say it at the podium. Yeah. Yeah, or or they have a separate set with the chair. It's not on the giant stage. Correct. You have a different backdrop, you have some sort of like a living room setting. I don't know. I think they just tried a little too hard when it comes when it came to that yeah i have the better idea for it it's like we put the chair in the green room and have whoever is getting picked to sit in the chair before they go see roger that would make a little bit more sense yeah but again still uh you know yep you, you're, pre- you're 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 so stuck on the chair <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's move on i mean the Talk about the two locals first. The Jets, I think, had a very good draft in terms of obviously we knew they're getting Zach Wilson. They do get the supporting cast around him. They take some shots on defense later. But you know what the Jets did? Yeah, I mean, I I think they did an excellent job here, right? So, like you mentioned, they get Zach Wilson, who's hopefully going to be their franchise quarterback, the missing piece there, right? Not only do they get Zach Wilson, though, they also add some support, right? They get some protection on the offensive line. They also end up getting Elijah Moore, who's another weapon for Wilson, which getting Elijah Moore where they did, I think was was a steal, right? And yeah. he can make an impact player. So now you, you add Elijah Moore with the additions that they've made in this offseason, and Zach Wilson has a little something with him now. Yeah, he absolutely does. I also love to pick up Michael Carter in the fourth round to give him another option in that backfield because this is a group that does not need a ton of star power and with the way the scheme is. You know the LaFleur system, how it works with the, with the zone block, and they don't need, like, you have your bell cow back. They had another quality runner to that mix. I think that helps, too. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I think the, the important thing was there that they um, they definitely were able – to not only get their so hopeful franchise quarterback, but they also are going, they were smart enough to say, we're not just going to give them, you know, the, the sexy players around him, right? The impact players, let's get him a good offense alignment and let's protect him. Cause with that, if it doesn't matter who you are in the NFL, if you don't have time to throw the ball, you're not going to be good. 
Yeah, you're not. So let's shift to the Giants for a minute to Daigle and Shaka Sol actually be willing to trade back in this draft. He does it twice. He gets a couple of extra picks next year. They get Kadarius Tony first round as he's Ozilari second round. What do you think about what the Giants ended up doing in Cleveland this week? Yeah, like you mentioned, shock the world with Gettleman trading trading out. And uh, I didn't expect that, um, but it was a smart thing to do, setting themselves up uh, for next season as well and getting some more picks. Right? I thought we would have saw a lot more teams moving out of this year's first round or finagling a little bit to get add on more picks for next year's draft just because of the lack of tape because of the circumstances with this year's draft class there's a lot of uncertainty when it comes to these guys um the tony pick i wasn't crazy about it all right i wasn't crazy about it i think do they need weapons for daniel jones yes but at the same time you just signed uh someone like kenny galladay right and if he could stay on the field kenny galladay evan ingram if he could get it together shepherd slate in it's pretty solid there. If I were the Giants, I probably would have really um, focused more on that offensive line early on. You know, I would have probably addressed that with my first with my first round pick. And but I think they made up for that by snagging the linebacker there in the second round. Yeah, in terms of the Tony pick, I like the idea. I like the guy getting speed to this offense, but I just don't trust Jason Garrett to correctly utilize this player. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, how is he going to fit in that offensive scheme, right? I think Daniel Jones at this point with Kenny Galladay and the other guys that I just mentioned should have enough to show what he can and cannot do, right? Um, so with that being said, protect the guy, right? Saquon Barkley coming back. Protect Saquon Barkley. Open up some holes for him. Yeah, they were a little lazy with the with – the, uh... Offensive line, they didn't take one in the draft. I think that's hurts them a bit, but I want to talk about some of the other big moves in this draft, including the, we knew the cross going one, two, three, the landing spots. You got Landry, we got, uh, got uh, Justin Fields, excuse me, going to the Chicago Bears. We have Mac Jones laying in New England. You got the fits of those two guys. Yeah, so the Fields deal, um, I think Chicago did the right thing. They've been in quarterback abyss and for, for how long now? They haven't had a franchise quarterback. They thought it was Mitch. It clearly isn't Mitch. So, they think that just that they they think excuse me that Fields is their guy. They made a play to get up and get him, and now I think if it works out for him, um, you know Chicago is setting setting themselves up um, for for future success for sure. As for Mac Jones, I mean it's the Patriots, it's Bill Belichick. Um, Mac Jones is a smart quarterback. He's definitely going to give Cam Newton a, a run for his money when it comes to that starting position. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you have Mac Jones and Fields both starting midway through the season. Yeah, I think they'll both end up starting too. I just think the thing that annoys me with Mac Jones, like you look at the tape, you look at what he is and like, yeah, he's a fine player. He's a, he has a solid like floor as an NFL quarterback, but like, just because he fell in New England, I was like, Oh, New England did it again. They know what they're doing. They had the grazing ever. Like, Whereas, let's say, give me a team. Let's say the Vikings pick Mac Jones. It was screaming bloody murder. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't need a quarterback, so on and so forth. No, I, I think you have a point there uh, that whenever a quarterback ends up going to New England, all right, every single one of Tom Brady's backups is yeah. going to be you know, the next big thing. Um, this, this could end up being a terrible move. I think it's the right decision, though, investing early in a guy that you think could be your 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 future rather than, Settling for the traditional fourth round 
third round guy that you know will eventually be the be uh, the person taking over. Yeah, let's let's get some highlights here. Who are some of your top picks in the first round? Who are who are some teams you think nailed this? Uh, overall, some teams that nailed it: the Dolphins. All right, they're num- they're they're up there for me. Um, I love the fact that they bring back Waddle with Tua, former teammates. I think that was a a smart move. You now have Waddle, Will Fuller there. Tua has the options, right? Yeah. He has he has he has weapons around him. And then I think they did a good job by also adding Eckenberg, who's who's going to be a starter immediately to help protect Tua. Right. Not only are you getting weapons for him, but you're also protecting him. They definitely all of their picks hit on hit not only quality, but need. So I thought the Dolphins had a real good draft. I thought Cleveland had a really good draft. Right. They filled immediate needs um, at corner, at linebacker in those first two rounds. And they got plenty of depth throughout the draft and, and really Chicago, too. Right. I think you're no you're nothing in this league without a quarterback. Right. And. Chicago is almost there, even though it doesn't seem like it. But if they could figure out the quarterback position, they're going to be a problem in the NFC North, especially with who knows what's going to happen with the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. So, again, similar to what the, the Dolphins did um, outside of drafting a quarterback, right? They, the, the Chicago Bears get their quarterback. They protect them in getting a guy like Tevin Jenkins. I really like those, those three teams the most. Yeah, I think one of the judges out to me too. I think Detroit had a very good draft, like sort of building up that style that Dan Campbell wants. Not like all the toughness, all the building of the trenches, getting Sewell the first pick, getting the Levi, like the line, Amu Crazy, I think, from Washington the second round, like building the trends, getting some physicality on that team. I think they did a good job sort of attacking their needs. Yeah, I think Minnesota did a good job too, attacking their needs. I, you know what? A lot, a lot of teams this year I thought had. Really good drafts yeah. overall, filling needs and and based on what you know based on that criteria. Now, what is that? We won't know until three years from now what worked out. You know that's the funny thing about the draft, which you laugh about. Oh, this team gets an A, this team gets an F, this team gets a D for their draft class. But in reality, I mean, it, it's it's a crapshoot. Flip, flip a coin. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I'm looking at some of these. I was watching the draft, like a lot of these picks, like, oh, these make sense. Like I can I can get it. There were a few though. I was like, I don't know what you're doing here. And I think the Raiders were at the top of that list, especially the first round, taking Alex Weatherwood, who I don't know if you're watching the ESPN feed, the NFL network feed, but ESPN, like they cut to Mel Kiper. Mel's jaw was like on the floor when that pick was made. Yeah, that they reached there and then I don't know what the heck happened with them later in the draft going safety happy. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure they drafted three safeties. Yeah. I'm not sure what Mayock and Gruden are doing out in Vegas. Maybe that Vegas uh, scene is getting to them. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand what they were doing in the draft. They made no sense. And one of the picks that sort of baffled my mind when it was made was the Jaguars taking Travis Etienne at the end of the first round because they already had a guy who ran for 1,000 yards last year and undrafted running back James Robinson. They had they assigned Carlos Hyde in free agency. And, I mean, Urban Mockman said he's the third down back, which is a very bad allocation of resources. And your 18 is one in 15, had so many holes on it. Mike, you are totally right. And I was going to, that was the next thing I was going to mention. Yeah. He completely botched that. Did you forget about James Robinson? I mean, come on. How you, you end up getting back in the first round, you could definitely fill another hole, and you didn't do it. it that, was, that was an enormous mistake for the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
yeah, it's one of those things where like you are if you have property and like you have a house that's falling apart, and let's say you have it, let's say you have a solid like you have a Chevy in the in the in the car. It's not bad. You say, you know what, I'm not gonna fix my room. I'm gonna buy the Porsche instead, even though I already have a Chevy. Yeah, no, it just it, it didn't make sense. Did they trade in back in, or was that their that, original pick? That was their second pick. They had, the one they got from the Rams in the Jalen Ramsey trade. So oh, he's. So I, I I I apologize for that, but it, it just it, it didn't make sense. Yeah. You know, if James Robinson had a terrible year and they struggled running the ball, it makes sense, right? But you know, you just added you know their teammate. They were teammates in Clemson, but again, so many more needs. And I think the most important thing is drafting for need. Yeah, I think for sure. Like you could have a piece of offensive line, give Trevor Lawrence better protection. Like having a guy who your coach said, "Hey, he's the third down running back." That's a big waste of your resource when you're that bad. It's not like huge waste. Yeah, huge. And you know, a pick like that changes what people think of your overall draft, right? Because if they fill a need with that position rather than going running back, people are looking at that completely different instead of one of the worst picks in the first round. Yeah. I also wonder if the Giants pick. I wonder if instead of Canaries, somebody take Rashad Bateman, for instance, more polishers here. I wonder if that's a better like look there. I think that may be a, a better fit for uh, Jason Garrett's offense. Time will tell, though. Yeah. Um, I, I have that actually for the Ravens as one of the you know better picks of the first round. I mean, they they get some wide receiver support, which you know they have Marquise Brown, but it's it's hit or miss. He either has a great game or he does absolutely nothing, and there's no one in between. And I think Bateman could come in and be that you know everyday guy. Yeah, say so one of the things that confused me when I was watching the draft was like the Colts' complete lack of effort to find an offensive tackle, and then I think Costanza retired left tackle. And you're trying to protect Carson Wentz. They take zero tackles in a draft that was loaded with them. They just loaded up on edge guys first, and then they were adding other needs and like. I know that I talked to Colts fans. Some of them were saying, hey, like we have good offensive line development. Blake, should you take one and give yourself a chance here to fill this hole internally? Yeah, you probably should because if you, you, you never know with the offensive line and you can find one in the third or fourth round and they could be with you for five, six years, even more, maybe 10 years. Yeah. So you're pretty right. Maybe it's just the, the, the omen of Carson Wentz never having an offensive line to protect them. Yeah, also Sam Darrell had that as well because I thought they were going to take Rashawn Slayer at number eight and then they take J.C. Horn instead. I'm sure Sam's getting there like, come on, can't I get a left tackle ever? Also, speaking of Carson Wentz, his former team, the the Eagles, I thought they did a good job trading up and, and snagging Devontae Smith. Um, you know, another similar situation. Jalen Hurts reunited with his former teammate, fills a, a, an immediate huge need for that team who didn't really have a, a real number one wide receiver. I also thought it was interesting. I don't know if you saw the video from the Eagle draft room where Howie Rosen's going around fist, like high-fiving everybody after to make the pick. He goes to his sky director. Sky director's like, uh, I don't want to do this because I. you could tell he was disgusted with the pick. So I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, I thought I thought it was actually interesting that the Eagles and the Cowboys made a trade. Yeah. I, mean, I did not expect that. No, I thought, I I, I mean, I'm going to get to the transform. I spoke to Troy Moriello, Cowboy fan there. He thinks part of it is like the Cowboys, once all their corners went and they said, okay, we're not going to get one. They knew that Devontae Smith was going to go to one of these next two teams. You know, we're going to steer him to Philly, who's further away than the Giants are. Yeah, and speaking of the Cowboys, I think they had a a questionable draft, which the we'll be able to have a better understanding um, a few years from now. But they took a few risks there, taking some guys with some questionable, you know, past records, as well as you know, a guy Micah Parsons who could be a stud, but also who knows what you're going to get out of him since you know. He hasn't played in a while. Yeah. Yeah, they love they have they are not afraid of the character issues, those cowboys. 
That's definitely for sure. Jerry Jones does not care one bit. Yeah, I think that was an interesting pick for sure. I think I think we hit on pretty much a pretty good range of stories here. I mean, I also one other team out there. I know they didn't have picks because they keep they trade them all away for things, but the Texans, what are you doing? Like your first pick of the board and you take a quarterback there in the third round when you have so many needs on a bad team. I know the Watson situation stinks, but you have so many problems. I thought the Texans' lack of picks and also Seahawks' lack of picks, their drafts were pretty much irrelevant. Yeah. Um, the Texans, I mean, yeah, you go with David Mills, at quarterback, who's a who's definitely a project. I mean, I get it just in case if Deshaun Watson doesn't play, but Mills is going to be starting if Deshaun Watson doesn't play or it gets traded. So, yeah, that did not make any sense to me. Yeah, we haven't talked about your team. We're going to do that in a minute. We're going to the fan forum for that. So I know you have a lot to say, so. We'll go there now. Is that cool with you? Let's do it. All right, let's go to the fan forum. Do the bounce around the league. Do some mock draft analysis and draft analysis right after this. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. This is the fan forum. All right, in the fan forum, Joe Joe Dalizio is still here talking about the Green Bay Packers draft. And before we get to the left. pick. I should have left. I don't know why you kept me here. Should have yeah. left. Should have left. I mean, like, the whole story of the draft, we didn't get to it there. But the Aaron Rodgers saga just, all, just overshadowed everything on draft night for them. And it's such a mess. Like, you're obviously more in on the situation than I am. Am I wrong to think that he's never playing for that team again? You're not wrong. I mean, I I agree. I think this is an unrepairable situation. Um, And I think the Packers organization is playing chicken with the wrong guy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play this season for the Green Bay Packers. I wouldn't be surprised if he sits out. I wouldn't be surprised if he he retires, Um, to be honest with you. I think there's very little chance that Aaron Rodgers plays for the Green Bay Packers. I 100% agree. I think they're playing chicken with the wrong guy because as people know, I'm not sure how much this goes outside of football circles, but like Aaron Rodgers has not spoken to his immediate family for about 15 years. The Packers not winning a, a, a stare off with him, stare down with him. Yeah. I, you know, you keep that aside and whatever. It's just like, based on all the reports that you've seen and you've read, it's like, how can, how can this potentially ever get better? Right. There's, there's nothing that could really be done in my eyes, that would make this better, right? I am totally against the the option of firing general manager Brian Gutkust. I yeah. think that is absolutely ridiculous and step overstepping several boundaries. Does Aaron Rodgers have a right to be upset and annoyed with the organization and you know their decision to draft Jordan Love when he has no signs of slowing down? And that's clear as day after last year's MVP season, 100%. But at the same time, I mean, we are stepping into really murky territory if players are now deciding who's going to be the GM and who's not. Yeah, it's a spot you don't want to be in. I think you're right. I think the Jordan Love thing is where this whole relationship started to fracture because I think that Packers sort of had the wrong skyboard. They said, okay, he's probably got a year left. We're going to take the quarterback and sort of do what we did with him and be ready to go when 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 the time comes. But coming off the MVP, now they're like, uh-oh, what do we do here? And I think now you're in a spot where 
he's going to try and force his hand. I could totally see him saying, you know what, like, I'll go host Jeopardy. I don't need this aggravation. I'm going to sit out. And then, like, if somebody wants me, you know, and the Packers just get fed up enough, they'll trade me. And the other thing is, is I don't think, um, at least pre-June 1st, the Packers are going to be thinking about trading him. It's it's going to cost them more to trade him than keep him on the team, even if he doesn't play. So it's it's a, it's a it's a crazy situation. And like you said, it's hard to really dive deep into this draft class because no matter what, the season as a whole, the Packers' success hangs on who their quarterback is, right? If Aaron Rodgers ends up playing, which I don't think he will end up playing, the Packers will be exactly where they were last season. Maybe they get over that hump. Maybe. That's not a guarantee. But if he doesn't play and he's not their quarterback, this is a team that's picking easily in the top 10. Oh, yeah. If, if not top five. Oh, yeah, because he's the key to that whole team. And, I mean, you look at, like, what's going on here. I think the timing of it, too, is very interesting because you look at his decision to sort of leak this on draft day. It's sort of like try and put the screws on the Packers and say, hey, you want to get a pick for me, do it now. Otherwise, I'm going to make your life hell for the next, like, couple of months. And, Mike, I'll be honest with you as a fan, right, as yep. a Packers fan, I was hoping that if this happens, let it happen Thursday night, day one of the draft. Rip the Band-Aid off. Let it let it just happen, because the more that this lingers, you're going you're going to go into the entire summer, not knowing, right? And as a fan, that is just a terrible feeling. It's also not good for Jordan Love either, because he's going to be going to camp, assuming he's getting starters. Rasmus Rodgers not there every day. Asking, do you think Aaron Rodgers is going to show up back up? Do you think he's going to be the guy this year? Do you think he's going to show up at all? And he's, he's like, hey, I'm trying to take care of what I have to do. I mean, all I could say about that is that I hope he comes prepared and he's ready to play football. Yeah, because they, I mean, there's a there's a good there's a good chance he could be starting in September. Now, is he ready to start in September? Probably not. Doesn't seem that way. I mean, last year he wasn't active for a single game, but you know, time will tell. But my gut says, um, you know, it's it's very unlikely that Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing for the Green Bay Packers um, this upcoming season or 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 ever again. Yeah, I don't think so either. I also thought it was very interesting, sort of like one last parting shot at Rise a little bit, where, where they take the corner in the first round instead of getting another receiver. Say, hey, you don't dictate our situation. We're going to take who we think is the best fit for us. Here's the thing, though. like, It's not about just getting Rodgers wide receivers, right? It, like, That's the one notion that I think uh, general fans or outside people don't understand. Like, it's not about you need to give Rodgers weapons. You need to give Rodgers weapons. I mean, look what he had this season. He Look what he had the season before. You you fall short in the NFC Championship game, okay? If you had a better cornerback and a better defense and some other pieces on the offensive line and the linebacker position, right, those are pieces that Aaron Rodgers could use, right? So at the same time, it doesn't necessarily always have to be Get the guy this get a wide get him a wide receiver get him a wide receiver. But if you put impact players around him in other positions and key positions, the difference is going to be made. A big reason why they lost in the NFC Championship game, Kevin King got absolutely smoked on that side. All right, so hopefully they get a guy in Stokes who is a physical guy, a bigger guy, super athletic. You pair him up with Jair Alexander, and now you fill that need. I'm I'm all about filling the needs. Um, and that's exactly what they didn't do last season. 
Yeah, because last year's draft, they went quarterback, running back, one, two, and those were sort of luxury picks for a team that was trying to win the Super Bowl. I think these picks make more sense. And you said, like, the whole NC Championship game tournament, Kevin King gets smoked on the uh, last play of the first half by Scotty Miller for the touchdown. I mean, Brady went his way the entire game. It wasn't like he picked apart Jair Alexander. You know, the Packers also weren't able to get the great great pressure on him. So you invest in defensive line. You invest in linebackers. Like, it doesn't always have to be about the wide receiver. But, you know, they, they the organization set themselves back with that first draft last year with, like you said, Jordan Love you know, running back in the second round. It took a fullback slash tight end in the third round in Josiah DeGora. I mean, I don't know. I, I, it just it's hard to even look at this draft class. Right. And, and give them a, a grade or a number because like a guy like Amari Rogers. Right. I think Amari Rodgers could be really, really, really good in Matt LaFleur's system. I think he could be really, really, really good with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. Will he have an immediate impact if Aaron Rodgers isn't his quarterback? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, but since this point of the exercise, like, we're going to take the Rodgers part of the equation out of here for a second. Let's say Jordan loves the quarterback, and this is your draft class. What are you giving the grade for this group? Uh, Probably probably still – Still a, a, a B. Yeah. Probably around a B um, with the potential of that being higher because I like I like what they did with, with Stokes. Maybe I would have went Asante Samuel Jr., who's a little bit more polished, but I think they're going for a little bit of attitude. They see what they have in Jair and how physical he is. Um, and if you could have that on both sides of the field, you know, you hope that Stokes' athleticism and speed makes up for his other um, – his other deficiencies. I think they were smart with uh, addressing the offensive line the way that they did. Uh, the one thing I wish they would have done a little earlier, though, I, I would have addressed the linebacker or, or the defensive line earlier. All right, Joe. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can you follow social media? Keep up the Sharp Cheddar podcast. All right. So give me a follow on Twitter at Joe double underscore. Don't forget the double underscore, Mike. All right. Yeah. Otherwise, they won't find you. E-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. About the Sharp Cheddar podcast, how can you keep up with that if they want to? All right, so Sharp Cheddar available on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Amazon, uh, anywhere that you can find a podcast, you can find the Sharp Cheddar podcast. All right, Joe, thanks again. I appreciate it. Mike, always a pleasure. Have a wonderful week. All right, back in the fan forum here, staying in the NFC East. Going to the NFC for the first time here, talking about the New York football Giants. Joining me today, one of the biggest Giant fans I know, Phil Lombardo is here. Phil, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Um, thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. Always have fun here. Yeah, before we get to the Giants, I have to ask, are the rumors true you are Donnie Stevenson, secretly in disguise? Um, well, you know, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't think that the word would get out so fast, but, uh, Pete Alonzo has been praising and praising me for the last couple of days. So now I guess the secret's out. Yeah, the rumors are that if the Mets get 10,000 retweets of a stat, they'll put a, put your picture out tonight. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully it's a decent one because I, uh, you know, I, I told them if they're going to put my if I put my picture out there, they better have me looking more like Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, we'll keep an eye to see if the Leo pick goes out there for when Donnie Stevenson <laughs> gets unveiled. But we'll talk about the Giants here. And one thing you and other Giants have killed Dave Gelman for for years is that he never trades back. He always sits there and makes the picks. This year he trades back not once but twice. How shocked were you that he actually traded back? You know, I actually, um, you know, I've had a, it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster of emotions when it comes to Dave Gettleman. 
early on, he's made, he made plenty of head scratching picks and he certainly heard it from the fans, experts, other executives around the league and myself, of course. But, um, you know, I don't, I wasn't super surprised about the trades because, you know, at 11, you know, with the draft kind of, you know, after those top 10 picks being a little fuzzy with value, it didn't shock me to see that, um, you know, Gettleman was able to um, make a move, especially when, you know, it came down to what he got. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, for sure, you got, like, a f- first-round pick from a desperate Bears team next year. You get an extra four, extra five, and then he gets a three from the Dolphins, and he, he did a good job with those trades. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, is, like, those first, you know, first few drafts that he had with the, with the Giants were a little shaky, but I thought, you know, last year was an overall positive one. You know, McKinney got hurt in the, in, in the preseason, which was unfortunate, but I thought that was a fantastic um, grab for them in the second round. Thomas had started off very slow, but, you know, he came on at the, towards the end of the year, and that's what you expected from, you know, a guy of his stature and his pedigree um, without OTAs, you know, starting off slow but gaining some steam as the season went on. Um, but also there was an article that came out a few days before the draft, and I think it was the New York Daily News um, might have posted it that um, – DG basically said he's tried to trade down multiple times and refuses to quote unquote get fleeced. So he's never pulled the trigger. And I think that's partially true, which is kind of why I didn't, wasn't super surprised about him trading down, but uh, he definitely quieted any doubters after what he did. Um, And I mean, when it comes to the trade downs themselves, I guess, you know, the first one was pretty obvious in my opinion. You know, a lot of people said they wanted Rashawn Slater or Micah Parsons, but I, I don't, I don't, I know that I wasn't in love with either of those guys, and I guess neither was DG. Um, and when Chicago offers a haul like they did, um, and you only, you know, you only move up nine or down nine slots, um, you aren't currently in love with anybody on the board at the spot you're at. You jump on it. You know, you land a fifth rounder this year, as well as an extra first and extra fourth next year. It's a no-brainer, and I think it's a, it's something that pretty much every GM would have done had they been in Gettleman's shoes. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And we'll start at number 20, who they end up there with, with uh, Kadarius Tony, the receiver out of Florida. This is one where I like the player, I like the skill set. I just wonder if, considering that Jason Garrett's not a very creative guy as an offensive coordinator, if a more traditional pass catcher might have been a better option here. What do you think? You know, I, I've heard that, and that's, that's the one knock on the pick. But at the end of the day, this is a league that's constantly evolving and, and players like Kadarius Tony are becoming increasingly more important to have in an offense. He adds an entire new wrinkle to this team. And I mean, let's be real. What is not to like about Kadarius Tony, the football player though, the dude is absolutely electric with the ball in his hands. He's and his ability to work in small uh, spaces, his acceleration and his fearlessness make him a threat to take to the house. Anytime he touches the ball. So He's also somebody who I love because you can move him all over the field. He has experience as a dangerous returner. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, like I mentioned before, he's going to make offenses basically game plan around him because of his versatility and his ability to make people miss. Um, And I know that Jason Garrett might not be the most creative guy at the end of the day, but he's going to learn how to use Tony in more than one way. And I think he's going to, you know, they're going to be able to look at film of of guys like um, Tyreek Hill and they're going to be able to say, all right, what, what, has, what have other teams had success with with guys like Tony, and how can we use this to our advantage? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think that's something to track there. I think the second-round pick I like more because Aziz Azulari was a first-round talent at the edge rusher position. He fell to the second. The Giants traded back, still got him, got a player who can really help one of their biggest depths. What do you think about Azulari? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, so the Giants have always historically loved SEC guys, which is now an obvious trend among all GMs across the league. But I like to think the Giants were one of those first teams to really jump on board and focus strictly on the SEC because it really is like the NFC, the NFL light when it comes to college ball. But um, honestly, I will say, Aziz was my guy coming into the draft. Man's an absolute problem for opposing uh, passers and someone who I thought could have easily gone the first 20 picks. And I certainly wouldn't have blinked if the Giants drafted him with their first rounder, as I believe he was definitely the best edge rusher available in the entire draft. Um, he just seems to have an advanced understanding of what it takes to disrupt the quarterback. He has a number of moves he could put on a lineman. He's long. I think he has like 35-inch arm, uh, like arms. Um, he, he's quick. He's got that bend when working on the edge that most elite pass rushers have. Um, think about like Khalil Mack, DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller, guys of that caliber who once they know they have you beat by a half step, they dip that shoulder and accelerate to the QB. And I'm not saying he's them, you know, but the potential is there. And he's def- you can definitely tell he studied those guys because he's adapted a lot of their good qualities and applied it to his game. Um, also, though, I've seen that he's proven that his athleticism um, goes beyond pass rushing. He has the ability to drop back in coverage as well as stand up and play the run. So another versatile weapon for the defense that you can move around and really help confuse opposing offenses. And I think he's going to perfectly complement guys like Leonard Williams and Big Dex in the middle um, and somebody who's going to definitely just immediately step in as a starter. Yeah, for sure. And obviously you got to wrap it up here. How would you trade Trader Dave's uh, draft here? Okay, you know, so Dave Gettleman did the unthinkable. And he filled two major needs in his first two rounds and at the same time acquired three additional picks for next season in the process. Um, Just to talk about a couple of the other picks real quick, Aaron Robinson can come in and start instantly in the slot, I think. He started Alabama, so he knows what it takes to play against elite competition. Um, And he should help definitely raise the play of second-year cornerback Darnay Holmes, who actually didn't allow a touchdown in his rookie season. So I think those two guys together, complementing with the addition of Dory Jackson, and um, obviously James Bradbury coming off a tremendous year, that really um, makes that secondary uh, rounded out perfectly, in my opinion. Um, I like the potential of Ellerson Smith, the fourth-round pick, who flashed during the Senior Bowl. And I can even see Rodarius Williams coming in with something to prove and competing for a spot in the secondary as well. Um, overall, it was the second draft in a row that Gettleman addressed needs without sacrificing value. And it's but and the only reason I'm not giving this draft uh, this draft grade a full uh, a full A is that I thought maybe we could have looked at an offensive lineman like Stone Forsyth in the later rounds for depth and competition purposes. So I give this an A-. minus. I think it was well done. I understand some people's qualms about the, the Tony pick, but overall what they did is they addressed needs and they set themselves up for success not only this year, but in the 2022 draft, which is supposedly much deeper than this one was. Absolutely. Definitely a lot of fun to see how they attack this draft next year. They did a good job this year. Phil, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it, too. All right, here we are back in the fan forum again. We are going to the NFC East, staying in the NFC East with the Dallas Cowboys. Troy Morial is back. Troy, it's nice to talk to you. It's not college basketball. Yeah, I, to be honest, I wish it were. Uh, I wish it were November or March. Maybe we could be talking about some March Madness, but I guess this will do. I, we'll talk a little NFL draft. We, we we can do that as well. Yeah, I'm sure we can. And one of the big surprises to the first round was the fact the Cowboys made a trade with the Eagles. I mean, I literally was watching that in the draft. And when I see this happen, I'm just sitting there, I'm like my mouth's on the floor. I'm just sitting there going, what the hell's going on out here? I'm sure you're probably thinking the same thing. I was, I was watching the draft with my dad, who is also a, uh, a big Cowboys fan. 
And I was, I literally said, Oh my God, I, I could not believe that when I saw Cowboys trade pick to Eagles, um, I knew that they were going to trade that pick, you know, well, once uh, horn and Sertan, who were the two guys that they really wanted to take uh, at 10, both went off the board at eight and nine. I knew that they were going to trade down. It was, it was fairly obvious. I did not see them trading down to the Eagles of all teams. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't, I don't hate it. I mean, either the Eagles or the giants were going to get Devonta Smith in the first round. So I guess that they figure they'd rather him go to the Eagles who are maybe a little bit further away from contending than the giants are a giants team that was, you know, really a win away from the, uh, from the postseason last year. So I don't hate the move, but yeah, it was, it was certainly a shock to see them making a deal with the, with the hated rival Philadelphia Eagles and doing anything to let the Eagles really uh, gain some talent. It was very surprising. I'll say that. Definitely was very surprising, but I will say they moved back at 12 made sense. I like the pick of Micah Parsons in the first, in the first, I mean, I talk about corner for them, but their linebacker group need help. Yeah. I mean, uh, I certainly wanted them to go corner. Uh, I wanted either horn or Sertan. I was shocked that they were both gone. I, I didn't think that there was really any scenario where both of them were going to be gone. I thought someone was going to trade up the top 10, to be honest, to take a quarterback to get maybe Justin Fields or, uh, or Mac Jones, you know, in that seven, eight, nine range. Uh, I was stunned that both guys were gone once, you know, they were both gone. It kind of became obvious that Parsons was going to be the pick even after they traded down. I don't hate it. You know, they, they need any sort of talent that they can on the defensive end. You know, as you saw with their draft with eight defensive players being drafted, uh, they need to build up their defense any way that they can. And Parsons is, you know, according to all these experts, he was the best, you know, defensive player available. You know, if you look past some maybe character issues with the, which the Cowboys have had no issue doing in the past, you know, looking past some, you know, questionable characters and bringing them in. So uh, very talented guy, you know, seems like he can make a lot of plays for them on defense. Hopefully he's, you know, a game changer for them. Uh, I will say they have drafted linebackers pretty well in the past, you know, Van Der Esch, Jalen Smith, Sean Lee. It's always been kind of a, a, a strong point for them. I know that drafting defensive players hasn't been great for them, but they have hit on a couple of linebackers recently. So that makes me a little bit confident, but, you know, hopefully this guy can step in and be a day one starter for them and, and be a difference maker on a defense that, you know, sure as heck really needs it. Hey, I mean, they, this is a team sign Greg Hardy after he was basically accused of like beating up a woman. So mm-hmm. uh, Micah Parsons characters are nowhere near as bad as that. Yeah. They, yeah. Um, when, you know, when people said, Oh, you know, he, he's got all this talent, but you know, some off the field stuff and he, and you know, he maybe has some problems with coaches. I, I don't think the Cowboys and Jerry Jones have any issue bringing those guys in, you know, for the past basically 25 years, uh, they've had no issue bringing in, you know, questionable character guys, um, they've done it in the last, you know, you look at Randy Gregory is even the example. It doesn't always work out for them. In fact, it, it almost rarely works out for them. Um, but you hope that this one's different now. You hope that, you know, Parsons can, can adapt to the NFL life good. And, and hopefully he ends up being, you know, someone that you can count on now for the next decade uh, in that linebacker position. Yeah. It's something you mentioned the defensive thing. Dak Prescott tipped it off prior to guys like, Hey, you know, this is going to be a defensive draft. Cowboys had their own record six their first six picks are defensive players, which I think the most in franchise history. I'm sure as a senior watch, guy who watched that defense, like, you're very happy they had a lot of help that defense. Yeah, when your franchise quarterback is you know openly saying we need to take defensive players, I think it's a sign that like you're kind of set on offense. It's time to work on the defense now. 
And, you know, maybe you can question whether or not they got the right guys. Like I said, I would have rather uh, gotten, you know, Horn or Sertan in the first round rather than Parsons. I would like to get a corner in the first round than the second round, the guy from Kentucky. Um, but they did at least, you know, make an effort. Like you said, first six picks were on the defensive end. Uh, eight guys overall in the defensive end. Hopefully, you know, two or three of those guys can step in and be, you know, day one guys that are going to make an impact for you this season because this is a team that, you know, should be looking to win the division with a healthy Dak Prescott. He's the best quarterback in the division. You've already built around him successfully on the offensive end. Now it's time to build up that defense into just being, you know, serviceable because their defense was so, so terrible last year. You know, they were, they were not going anywhere regardless whether or not Dak Prescott was on the field. You know, Dak being on the field maybe would have turned them from, you know, a five or a six win team to a seven or an eight win team. And sure, they would have gotten in the playoffs with that because the NFCs was so terrible, but they were not going anywhere with how bad that defense was. The offense can score 30 points a game, but if you give up 35, you're going to lose a lot of games. So they need to build up that defense. And they tried, you know, we don't know whether these picks are going to be good or not for the next, you know, year or two. We'll find out. But they're, they're certainly at least, you know, committed now to building the defense, which I like. Yeah, try. They did try. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how people find on social media keep up with your podcast, the Seeing Red podcast? Absolutely. Yeah. If you're a college basketball fan, you can follow me on Twitter at Troy Moriello. The last name is M A U R I E L L O. I do tweet some Cowboys every once in a while. So, Cowboys fan, definitely check me out as well. All right, Troy. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right, we are back here in the fan forum, going to the AFC East, talking to England Patriots. Joining me today, one of the biggest Patriot fans I know. Somebody hasn't been on the podcast since about a year ago, Ian Sachs. Ian, how are you? Mike, thank you so much for having me. When you reached out about the NFL draft and talking about, a, a, you know, I said, why? Absolutely, why not? And, and this was a big one for the Patriots, so a lot to talk about for sure. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of buzz heading into the draft. Like, oh, New England wants to get a quarterback. But they have to trade up. But they sit right at 15. Mac Jones falls right to him. Feels like the perfect Belichick scenario. What do you think about the Mac Jones pick? I was ecstatic that the Patriots were able to get Mac Jones. He is the quarterback that I wanted from the get-go, knowing that Lawrence was going to go one. That's a given. Jacksonville's not moving from one. They're taking Lawrence. It was a, a done deal when they finished with the worst record and, and picked up the one seed and from the other quarterbacks entering this field, Matt Jones was the one that I selected. He was the one that I all college football season long said, he's the guy that I want to be the next quarterback of the new England Patriots. And then it early on in the draft process, it looked like, okay, you know, he, he could still be there around the middle of the first round. Then all the other teams, you started hearing all the buzz about the other teams falling in love with Jones and that he might go three to the 49ers. That really scared me. When they took Trey Lance, I yelled so happily saying, okay, that's one big time competitor for Jones. That's off the board. That's great. Now we just have to get through the next 12 picks to get down to 15 in order for the Patriots to take him. Then there was the run on all the other players, the wide receivers, uh, the the couple uh, offensive tackles. And I thought, okay, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Then the news from the day before with Teddy Bridgewater, I thought, all right, the, uh, the Broncos might not be in the running. So hopefully they won't take him. They didn't. Then once we finally hit the double figures, I thought, all right, even if the Patriots have to trade up now to get Jones, they don't have to go too far. They don't have to give away 
a ton of draft capital in order just to move up a few picks. I thought, okay, I, I'll, I would be happy with just moving up one or two picks. Then when the Bears moved up at 11, that really scared me, but I thought that Justin Fields was going to be a better fit for them. And fortunately, they took him. Then after that, it was, all right, now that's definitely within striking distance. Finally, when the Jets moved up to 14, right in front of the Patriots, I said, that's it, it's done. Mac Jones is a New England Patriot. And I, I've been smiling for the three, four days since then because I am so happy that Mac Jones is making his way to Foxborough. Yeah, definitely exciting for the Patriot fans. I feel like obviously they got the inside scoop because of the Saban Belichick connection. I mean, there was another couple of Alabama guys in this draft. I mean, we got the rest of the class. Uh, I'm ecstatic with Barmore in the second round, Christian Barmore. I think he's one of the best D linemen in the draft, and we got him in the second round. No problem with having to trade up the few picks to get him because we got a first-round talent in the second round. That's the way that I'm looking at that. So I think that the Barmore fit is perfect in New England. That's the sixth time that Belichick has gone back-to-back picks from the same school. Then he did it right after that again with Perkins and Stevenson, both from Oklahoma. I think Perkins is also a good fit for the Patriots. A couple of uh, immaturity questions surrounding him, but I think that the place where he's either going to sink or swim is going to be New England. There's no doubt about it. He has the support system that will allow him to thrive in the NFL, and New England is a perfect fit for him. Stevenson is a bruiser of a runner. Olegarrett Blunt type, those have been, that's been his comparison. And we saw what Blunt was able to do in the McDaniels Belichick offense. So I think that that could be a good fit. Uh, the fifth round pick, the linebacker from Michigan, McGrone, that's good. He, he's, a, he's a solid player. I really like what the Patriots did in the sixth round. Those two picks with Bledsoe and Sherman. Bledsoe, the safety from Missouri, he is a versatile secondary player can play corner can play safety can play uh outside linebacker so i'm really looking forward to what he can do and then i think sherman fits in perfectly into the offensive line providing some depth in terms of safety for both mac jones and cam newton i really like that pick i would have liked to see the patriots address wide receiver more they waited until the seventh round to get trey mixon from ucf uh, trey nixon rather from ucf I think that's a good pick. I think he is going to thrive very well in potentially playing on special teams. And that you always know is a Bill Belichick bread and butter formal former special teams coach. But I, I would have liked to maybe flush out wide receiver a little more and potentially uh cornerback and, and uh the secondary as well. That wasn't that was more of a need than the way that they drafted, but I'm still overall very happy with the draft. A very Belichickian draft. How would you give it a grade? What would the grade be? Uh, I would give it A minus. After Thursday night, the first round, I, I was ready to give it an A plus. Best draft in Patriots history with <laughs> getting Mac Jones. But uh, with those few concerns that, that I just listed there with uh, not addressing wide receiver as much as I would have liked it and corner could have also been a place to look for the Patriots. I, I thought that, you know, maybe knock it down a little bit, but getting Mac Jones, not having to trade up for Mac Jones, that was a big thing for me. 
because I, I had my eye on him and I would have been okay with having to trade up for him. But the fact that we didn't have to, that he fell to us to 15 was perfect. And then of course, also getting Barmore in that second round, trading up to get him. That is a first round talent going on night two. I'm very happy about it. All right, Ian. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll give you a follow on social media, some of the stuff you're up to. Absolutely. Uh, Instagram and Twitter at Ian R. Sachs. That's I-A-N-R, the letter R-S-A-C-K-S. Um, all things Patriots and Iona. You, you, you can follow me right there. All right, Ian. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Mike, thanks so much. All right, we are back here in the fan forum talking about the New York football Jets. Joining me today to talk about the Jet picks in the draft, Martino Puccio is here. Martino, how are you? Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Uh, not too bad. Um, feels like two years in a row the Jets had a at least competent um, draft. So I was trying to talk with friends about it, and we were kind of just the only two years in a row that we could uh, remember is probably the mid two thousands. The last time they had two drafts in a row where you're like, okay, I have no real issues with that. So I'm in good spirits for once. And you know me, that's not really a thing with the jets. Yeah. Usually Mr. Negative with the jets. So for you to be happy, says a lot. <laughs> it does. Cause <laughs> as you can recall in the Cohen money chat, I was saying, all right, really depends on who they hire this next go round. And if they are, uh, you know, in the proper chain of command, um, then I'll stay. I was yeah. I was ready to just be a you know a, not a freelancing uh, fan of the NFL. I was just gonna I was just gonna be a fantasy football and gambling guy for a while. That's kind of the direction I was headed. But I'm glad uh, they righted the ship and we're good to go. Yeah, they did. And remember those 2006 2007 drafts at the stage for an AFC Championship team. So hopefully we're so lucky this time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that was the last time they selected uh, two offensive players in the first round as well with the Mangold and Brick, I believe it was. Yep. Um, so really, I'm just really excited and, and happy with what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we knew going into this draft that, okay, they're going to take Zach Wilson. This is something that we've known since about like mid-March that this is going to happen. But what they did next was they made it clear that their plan was to help the quarterback out. They trade up for Vera Tucker. They take Elijah Moore. They take Michael Carr, the next three picks. I think Joe Douglas made it clear. I'm not doing what happened to Sam Darnold. Zach Wilson got every chance to succeed. I think I love that. I love that too. And the best part is the aggressiveness of it from Joe Douglas because um, I believe it was Damian Woody that made this point on Twitter is that, okay, you have a lot of draft capital. It's great that you could build up and and get guys to help out your young quarterback, but the odds are a lot of these picks aren't going to be making the roster within the next two years or so because that's a lot of roster spots, right? So he was like, okay, why not be aggressive here? Because there's more picks next year. There's two first-rounders. You're going to get Seattle's picks in there as well. Um, so you have options again if it doesn't work out this year. So he's very aggressive, and what they said was – who they thought was a top 10 player in this draft with Vera Tucker, I believe. So, I mean, just to get that and pair it up with a player in Mekhi Becton, who I think has all pro potential, and I don't even care if that sounds biased. I thought he was a pro bowler last year. He just played for the Jets. Um, so that's why he wasn't in there. Um, again, the wide receiver for a second straight year in the second round. I don't really care if we have our second round curse or whatever that is. But it gives us that depth with the wide receiving corps that we still haven't had um, in a while. And I know the Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker team was the top heavy core, but this one is just very well balanced. It's young. 
Um, the oldest wide receiver in it is Jameson Crowder, and he's not really ancient. Um, and we'll see how long he sticks around anyways, because that move kind of could have uh, changed that up. And then again, Michael Carter, I love getting a running back, you know, that's not in this. If he's in the second round, he has to be like almost at a pro bowl level in year one. Um, but besides that, like you could always find someone that's very useful in those later rounds um, in round four. And they and everyone by their judgment was saying, hey, this is the running back steal of the draft. This was the team that got the best value at running back more than anyone else. So, again, that like what can you say, too? Because, Mike, the offense can't get any worse. That is quite literally the worst offense in Jets history. And it was one of the probably one of the worst 10 offenses in NFL history. And if we be even more exaggerating, we could say bottom five in NFL history. So they can't get much worse. They get that much more talent and value in there. Um, and they have more to do next year. I'm just, I'm just very happy overall with the general approach. And not only is it the first time that the Jets – help a quarterback out immediately in the draft while getting their quarterback. They also did the other things that they needed for their quarterback with the coaching staff. Um, and then even the defense, if, if we're going to talk about that after, um, I think there's just really important things that they did there. In my opinion, that, uh, you know, use your coach. That's so great at, at coaching defense to coach those guys up. Get the real talent guys on offense and let them flourish because we know Salah can coach up a lot of these guys because we saw what happened last year in San Francisco. So, again, I don't know. It, it feels very weird for me, and I'm sure it feels weird for you too, that they were competent again. And you just, like, you have nothing bad to say about what they did. And it's just a tradition to have something bad to say. Yeah, you talk about the top of the podcast here. I mean, it's so weird because for once, it feels like they have a front office that actually understands how the league is going and how to operate in the league because they know this is an offensive league. They took offensive talent. They have a defensive coach. They use, as you said, a bunch of those late-round picks on flyer defensive guys with elite physical traits that you can coach up. And Robert Sala expected to coach those guys up. And I think a lot of these guys, you look at them, they have some interesting like physical attributes, whether it's speed, strength, whatever. And you can expect them to play roles because Sala will find the right fit for them. No, exactly. And that and that's exactly kind of what they were doing last year too. Ashton Davis, as much football as he hasn't played in his career, and he's still kind of figuring it out at his age, and he's not that young. But still, that was a speed pick. He was a track star. Same thing with these other guys too. Um, and again, even David Gettleman was on discussing this with uh, ESPN. He's like, speed kills. If you're not speed, then you got to be the biggest team around. And not only are they kind of doing that with the offensive line, just the speed in general that they're going to be having. And they did this last year too, with Bryce Hall was one of those picks, as you know, was, you know, okay, the kid's really talented. He's got some high upside. He's coming off an injury. This is worth a risk this. And it's not even that much of a risk because you're kind of putting in, you know, their lottery tickets at this point. I'm always the believer of that, that, Hey, like if you're going to put in a bunch of these picks, a lot of them aren't going to turn out. They don't really last that long in the NFL. If they last more than two to three years, then it's a home run, in my opinion, especially when you get to the sixth round or later. Uh, so, again, and then even if you want to talk about the undrafted free agent that they signed, the, the name is slipping me at the moment, but they give out the largest free uh, undrafted free agent guaranteed money with 180 grand. So, again, like it's Joe Douglas doing his due diligence and it's beautiful when you see Howie Roseman and the Eagles war room, when you see Howie go up to their senior scout to go give him a fist bump for moving up for Devonta Smith. And they're just not on the same board and happy about the decision being made. 
And there were a bunch of replies saying, ever since Joe Douglas left, this is how it's been. And that makes you feel good because of it also shows how well other teams do or how great someone is at their job when they leave their other place, right? Because we talk about that with LeBron all the time, like how his team suck after he leaves. Look at the look at the Ravens, look at the Bears, and look at the Eagles. A lot of them have a lot of people have been saying they haven't been doing a great job of drafting, even though you know the Ravens have been historically known to be good drafting teams. They're they're struggling. And it's the Jets who have turned it around. So it really says a lot about Joe Douglas as a draft evaluator. And again, it's it's awesome. It really is because it makes the draft exciting once more. Um, and uh, I couldn't be happier. Yeah, suffice to say, I think you're giving this draft an A. Uh, see, here's the funny thing. The, with draft grades, I totally understand how people go with um, grades because you kind of go off of like, okay, they address need, they got talent. Um, they weren't overly aggressive. They weren't, um, you know, lazy with their approach to things or overreaching for players, kind of like the Jaguars were hit or miss, right? They got the young quarterback, but Etienne is still kind of a little bit of a reach in the first round. But again, I don't know. I, I go with B because it's still a total crapshoot in the NFL. Okay, I could go B plus, but A is just funny to me because you never truly know at the end of the day. And Zach Wilson doesn't have that much of a track record. But again, if someone believes in their guy, you're going to have to go with it. Um, and I also probably am not as hyped up about Zach Wilson. Um, I was, at, You know what's really sad? And don't hold this against me. I was actually more hyped up for Geno Smith getting drafted yeah. to the Jets than I was Zach Wilson. Only because I love Geno at West Virginia. And I was very ignorant um, when I was in high school about this kind of stuff. But it probably does have to do with knowing Zach was the pick for months. Um, so, I mean, yeah, uh, listen, B plus, if you want to give it an A, I'm not really going to argue, but it's just it, the NFL draft is weird. So, yeah. It is weird. I gave it an A for the approach. Also, they understand how to build this team right now. It seems like they understand the concept of value in the draft and reading the board correctly. That's something I give them a bonus points for. Absolutely. And, and, the, and that's true because, again, People were like, okay, oh, the obvious is going to happen here in the second, at the top of the second round with the Jets. They're going to trade back. They're going to try and get more value and try and help build around. But then I, I love the approach of saying, okay, we did that last year. We don't necessarily have to. If we love a wide receiver like Elijah Moore, Jamison Crowder's getting up there in age, we could potentially cut him, use some of that money to sign a cornerback if it's still possible. You know, I know you mentioned Richard Sherman a while back, but again, uh, people that I know that, kind of know his agents and others were saying he still wants to go to a Super Bowl contender, but it still leaves that option open for you. Um, but again, my point was the aggressiveness at the top of that round saying, okay, let's just pick the best player here because if you hit this pick and he does great in this system with Zach Wilson, that's going to do wonders for you. And, you know, waiting towards the back end of a second round or early third round, if you were to trade back, doesn't give you that option with the option of staying there. Um, and getting a player like that, it's great because he totally understood. Again, we knew heading into this one, this was another really good wide receiver draft, just like last year. You don't have to use your first round pick on that. You could use it on the boys up front in the trenches. And obviously they had to use it on a quarterback because of that situation. Like you you just get value. And again, I know some people wanted to go with Debo Samuel comp, even though De- Debo Samuel is one of my favorite players, not on the Jets in the NFL. Um, again, it's a player after the catch and just to think like how talented Denzel Mims was and how well he was doing in an Adam Gase offense or show, showing enough flashes, you can only imagine what some of these guys are going to do um, 
together in a LaFleur offense that's based off of what Shanahan does in uh, San Francisco. Yeah, absolutely, Martina. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow on social media? Keep on some of the stuff you're up to. Yeah, you can just follow me um, at Martino Puccio on social media. Um, the, I write for The Athletic. There's some stuff um, for soccer betting. Uh, maybe if you're into the Euros over the summer, some U.S. Gold Cup stuff as well, if, if you might be interested in that. Um, and just other soccer podcasts. And just follow me for Mets tweets if you want to. Um, I am not on board with firing Donnie Stevenson just yet, but everyone else can leave in my opinion. But that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, Donnie Stevenson's are here. I'm Martino. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, wrapping up the fan forum here, snapping on the number one overall pick here, the Jacksonville Jaguars, joined by our pop culture correspondent and the only Jaguar fan I know, Sandra Rosa. Sam, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Well, when you are the only Jaguar fan I know, it makes it a very easy choice to get you in this slot. Yeah, having <laughs> me, only person to have. But hey, regardless, I appreciate it. No problem, man. I have to say, this was something we knew was coming back when the Jets won those two games that the Jaguars picked number one, picked Trevor Lawrence. Now it's here. Now he's in officially a Jaguar. Is he going to be the savior? I don't know. I mean, we had Bortles. We had Minshew. We have now Lawrence. Is it a Jaguars curse? Are they, is he going to do well? Is he just going to be a flop? This is the thoughts that go through my brain. Yeah, I'm, I think he'll be good. Though. I think he's much better quality than those other two guys. See, like, I hope so. But then again, like, as a Jaguars fan, like, I'm not going to lie to you. As a Jaguars fan, I thought they were going to mess up the draft. Yeah. Not going to lie. I don't have any faith in them sometimes. Like, I know Urban Meyer is supposed to be the new savior of the Jaguars. But who, you know, who knows? But you know what? I'm excited for him. I'm excited for his wife. His wife is, like, very excited for him to play for Jacksonville. But, uh, you know, I hopefully – He'll be our, you know, franchise quarterback for a couple of seasons, at least more than two, more than maybe three even. But uh, I'm, ugh, I just would really like them to do well this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing will change for him. He was, he has never going back to high school. He's never lost a regular season game in his life. That's going to change this year. That's going to change <laughs> big time. There's no way he's like, unless he has made a deal with the devil, he's definitely going to live like lose a few games this year. And when I mean a few, I mean a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I was confused about with them was their second pick of the first round. They take the running back out of Clemson, Travis Etienne, give him his teammate back. The fun player, but it feels like that's kind of a waste considering they already have two good running backs on the roster. And like, I don't know if you, this is the analogy I used in an article for fans tonight. And this is, I don't know if you hear this. It feels like you own a house. The house in need of dire need of repairs. You decide to build the pool in the back instead of replacing the roof or fixing the plumbing. I thought like that's how the pick went there. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree at all. Um, You know, we're not behind the scenes when they make these decisions. So there had to be something going on. You know, I think of the like PR thing, like maybe like there was like, oh, you know, maybe like Travis and Trevor play really well together or, you know what I mean? Or it was like some weird deal that they had together. You know what I mean? Or they, some, or his numbers must look good down the line, you know, with everything going on, but. I don't know. It's just weird. I don't disagree with that analogy at all. Yeah, we'll see. It's weird, but I'm just like, hey, you know what? I'm not in the clubhouse. I'm not making these decisions. I'm not looking at the like analytics of the whole thing. So it's like, good luck to you, Travis. Yeah, we're not in the draft room. We don't have that that knowledge of their making exactly. the Exactly. Yeah. So let's 
put the put the uh, Mel Kiper cap on here. How would you grade the whole draft here? I'm gonna say kind of like a B minus. Maybe yeah. I'm just a little hard on my team. It was very predictable. It was very like it was like just typical Jaguar stuff. You know, they picked a lot of players. They, they didn't really like go above and beyond. They picked a lot of players that they had positions for already. Um, I mean, like. I feel like Jalen Camp's going to be a good pick this year. I hope, you know, I don't want to jinx him or anything, but um, I don't know. You know me. I love the Jaguars. I will support them to the day I die, but then I'm also like such a, ah, they're not going to do well this year person at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, we'll see how they go. I mean, the Jaguars do play the Jets this year, so that'll be a fun game for us to watch. So we'll see what happens there. Great. I'm so excited. I love when they play New York teams. It's great. Yeah, that, I guarantee you, I'm gonna make my call my shot here. That game's gonna be in prime time. I'm calling that right now. I hope so, and I hope it's a really like good game. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like the new QBs going like against each other, Jaguars, yeah. Jets. You know, it'll be good. I hope. Yeah, you know what? I hope it will be good, even if the Jaguars lose. Yeah, yeah, I'm calling. Exciting game. Yeah, I'm calling the shot right now. Thursday night football week three when it's not on it's only on NFL network, Jets Jaguars. Oh man. I hope not. I don't have that channel, so that'll be a sad day. Well it'll be on local on the air locally in New York. So you'll be able to watch that game. All right, all right, good, good, good. <laughs> all right, so that's our NFL draft fan four. We got our six teams through. Do you want to stick around? Use you're the pop culture course mind. Talk a little bit about the circle. Exciting stuff. I'm so excited. All right. Let's go ahead. Let's go into the Netflix world. We'll talk about the circle right after this. All right, let's go into the pop culture. We'll talk about The Circle on Netflix, the reality show based on social media competition. Very unusual concept. And now covering season two on the podcast here. Last year, I did season one with our good friend Steve Colso from Barstool Sports. So glad you're stepping into Steve's shoes here for season two. Yes, very humbly so. I feel like I can't, you know, fill his shoes, but I can just partially be there. <laughs> Yeah, so for the uninitiated, if you've not watched this show yet, either season on Netflix, let's go a little summary of what's going on here. Basically, this is, as I call it with Steve at the time, this is social distancing before it was cool. So basically, you if you're on the circle, you're in living in an apartment, you're in a, living in a building with about at times seven or eight, nine other people. You don't see each other physically. You can only interact over social media through a profile on this app called The Circle. You can either be yourself or you can pretend to be someone else because the goal is to gain influence and gain friends and whoever's most popular at the end of the game wins $100,000. How do you think I did summing this up? That is literally 2T what this is all about. Yeah, and I watched season one last year. I've watched season two. You sort of binge. You went through season one, season two real quick. What do you think the big difference is between year one and year two? I feel like the players, since they've seen season one, they know how to play the game. Um, so I feel like season one was just like dipping the toes into the waters of everything. And season two is like full fledged. Yeah. And I feel like if we get season three, season four, it's just going to escalate from there. But I have a soft spot for season one. I love season one. Yeah. Season one is sort of like the pure version of it, where it's like these people like are just sort of trying to make friends, you know, they're, People like Shubham, who is probably like like America's sweetheart of the season. Joey, who shows ends up who ends up. I'm gonna throw the spoiler on here if you've not seen season one, and it'll also apply for season two coverage here. But 
Let me get that one more bumper over. So anyway, our season one winner, Joey, who for you first up is like, oh, typical Jersey Shore guy. Like, he's such a D-bag. And then he ends up, having, ends up being one of the nicest guys in the show. He has a really sweet romance with Miranda. It's a fun, it's definitely a fun ride with him. But season two, these people came to play. Oh my God, <laughs> they did. And you know who I found on social media? Who? Courtney on TikTok. Oh, he's got a TikTok? He's got a TikTok. And I don't know if you knew this and you're just like, you just had this in your back pocket. But do you know where they film the circle? It's in the UK. I didn't know that. So you had it in your back pocket. I knew it. Mike knows everything, folks. You heard it. You heard it here first. But I didn't know that they filmed it in the UK. Yeah, because the show originally came from the UK. That was they've been doing it over there for a few years, and the building set up over there. So okay. they just shoot. Oh. They just shoot establishing shots, make you think, oh, maybe it's in Chicago, maybe somewhere yeah. else. But no, it's in it's in the UK. It's trying to hide the fact that they're not in the United in America. Yeah, I didn't know that because, like, I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe Chloe came over here from the UK. I follow Courtney on TikTok now, and I'm just like, oh, I'm just an idiot because, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, so let's get into some of these highlights in season two because the first 12 episodes are out. They did dropped in batches of four every Wednesday. They say the finale is going to drop this Wednesday, so you will be able to see that and have some thoughts and see who's going to win this whole thing. You have time to binge all 12 like Sam did. Yes. <laughs> I binged her very fast. Yeah. And I think it's been a lot of interesting stuff here because I think the season two, more strategy and more successful catfish. Those are the two big things I noticed right off the bat. Yeah. I feel like there's been a million catfishes to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have a couple of very good catfishes, a couple of very bad catfishes. I mean, Start yeah. with the good ones. I mean, start with Trevor, who is basically his like in real life Trevor's wife, Delisha, yeah. and she has done a very good job, sort of, pers- like passing herself off as this like single dad from the Bronx, and she got a good job, sort of coming off as a man on on the app, and comes out of the point where like I just love watching Trevor work and. It feels so bad for Chloe when she, she got her heart shattered when she realized that Trevor is is not a is not an actual dude. I yeah. feel bad for that, but like Trevor's a very very good catfish. He's a really good catfish, and I feel like because like I, you know Rivers a catfish too. I feel like they just like take from things from real life and they just like insert it, and they do feel for everybody else. And I feel like that's what makes a good catfish. They're not in it to be selfish. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, like they actually care, so they like they put their own intimate details in there. And that's why they like work well as catfishes. Yeah, the cat, the best catfish is River too. It's like these are based on like yeah, it's like a different persona, but like it's based on something. Whether it's like you or somebody you know very well, you can sell it very well if you're doing that. If you're one of the bad catfishes, you are just sort of being generic, not having many details in there. And I got two great examples of that. I mean, like Emily played by Jack, basically played like the basic boring B as like Rose all day, blah, blah, blah. And like just completely whiffed and one key point we'll get to there. And the Lance Bass of it all was so funny. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I know why they did it. They did it for clout, but no one would ever believe that Lance Bass would come on the circle. No way in hell. 
Well, I know like Lance Bass loves reality shows. I know Lance Bass actually is a Big Brother fan, so like I know like Lance Bass. I could see him doing this, but, but the, the circle though, it's just like it's not well known. You know what I mean? Like I feel like, and you're supposed to be playing as each other. I don't know. I just feel like it's not Lance Bass style as an Instinct fan. Yeah, I feel like it's not Lance Bass's style. I mean, I could see them saying to going to Lance Bass saying, "Hey, we'll give you like." So, like, here's your appearance fee to come on here, help boost the show a little bit. I know this will be fun for you. And then, like, you win, you can donate to charity. I can see maybe Lance doing it at that angle, but the Lance Bass character is played by his longtime assistant, Lisa, which is just done so terribly. Because I was supposed to know all what Lance Bass is. I just couldn't believe how bad she was. Like, I feel like her answers were so bad. And I loved how Kat, like, RIP, love Kat. I, I know she didn't die, but you know what I mean. But, like, I just, like, thought it was great. She's like, I want to know what he wore for the show. Regardless, no way there is, like, a pop star who knew what he wore yeah. every single time. I mean, what do I know? I'm, I'm a nobody. But, like, I don't know. Some of the, her answers were, like, just – and I feel like she just is never there. Yeah. She was never in any conversations anyway. Yeah, and I mean, one of the great things when Lance, when Lance first joins the circle – he replaced the first player who's blocked R.I.P. Bryant, who was too pure for the show. He was like a... Per- yes, poor Bryant. Bryant would have been great on season one of The Circle. Bryant would have fit right in with that group. But then I feel like he'd be a rival to Shuby, and yeah. I would personally take offense to that. Yeah, well, anyway, Lance Lance comes in when Bryant gets blocked, and they start talking to Lance like, oh, is this really you? And they ask, I think Tara Alicia asks him, like, why are you here? Like, what are you going to do with the money if you win? And the, the response that Lisa comes up with is, I'm starting an NSYNC reunion tour. I'm like, that's a terrible answer. Like, you cannot yeah. be saying that. Like, when you are worth, like, however many millions of dollars. Like, I'm coming here to win a hundred grand for to start my own reunion tour. Yeah, that and Justin Timberlake would never go for that. No. Absolutely not. A like, hundred grand is not enough to make Justin Timberlake sneeze. Oh, exactly. So... They, those two were the least successful catfishes. They get blocked and like a double boo, but well, they end up being a successful catfish of their own, and they get they get a twist. They end up staying in the game as a new player where they're working together to create a John who is a sixty eight year old, sixty four year old psychic. Who they actually do a good job with him because Jack bases off his grandfather, and they have details like oh, like he's got kids, he's married to his husband Terry for thirty eight years. He's he has he does improv, all that great stuff, and it's like that's the difference because if you can you know spit facts, have a story you're telling, and have something you're basing on that works. If you're just you know trying to pretend that like you're a girl, it doesn't work. If you don't if you can't like have any details. Yeah, yeah, and then I feel like if people say like you know because he's like pretending to be, he also like uh, moonlights as Santa Claus. Yeah, like no one's gonna question Santa. No, it's a very good catfish. The reason why John made the finals. Exactly, which I'm kind of annoyed about, but that's a different story. That's a format of the show issue where, in my opinion. Yeah, because, like, like even, like, last season, like, the people who showed up late, it's just like, I don't want you to win. You haven't been, like, here the entire time. You've been here for, like, a couple of days, not, like, a couple weeks. Yeah, so to reset for people who have not watched the show, the show starts out, they put the first eight people in the circle. As people get eliminated, they start adding more in to sort of keep the show going. So, like, they put their best eight out first, usually. Then they start filling with others where they – last in season one, they brought somebody in, I think, like, in the last batch of episodes. And, like, episode nine, he was supposed – and he basically had a, a one-in-six shot winning the whole thing. And we barely get to know this person. Yeah, 
the um what's his name with um Ed and his mom. Mitchell, yeah, it's Mitchell's you know brother. Yeah. Yeah, so like they fix this this season a bit because the last really new people we get show up in the beginning of the second batch in Cat and Mitchell, and then we get the John creation being two people who got blocked. So I think they did a better job or at least care about everybody who's there at that point. Yeah, I'm just really interested to see because they're going to have the whole dinner together. Yeah. They're going to think of Lisa and John. Yeah. Also, I hope John wears a Jacksonville Jaguars jersey yeah. to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I also think the relationships formed are fun in this show. I think there's so many interesting dynamics here. I think the big one that started when that told me the season was different was the rise and fall of Savannah and Tara Alicia, the first two influencers of the season. And the influencers, obviously you rate each other. The top two basically have the power to kick someone out of the show. They were in an alliance. They were working together and then they get up there. They can't agree on who to block. And then they have this big nasty like fight over the circle app. And then they're both gone. The next, the next two blockings. It's like, it was just spectacular seeing them just like, I thought both of them could win when they started the show. Then this employee spectacularly. Yeah, I really did too. I thought they were big voices in the house and everything, but you know what? Like they were like being annoying. So it's just like, they're the only two causing problems. So then when they both left, I'm like, well, I guess I'm not that surprised about it. Nobody else wants to hear them bicker. No, it was, it was pretty nuts seeing how fast they fell. I also want to touch on Chloe because Chloe is from another Netflix property. She's from too hot to handle. John Stenko has watched the show. He has not tuned into the circle yet to see what Courtney's up to. I mean, Chloe's up to, but I feel like she's been a lot of fun. She's funny. Yeah. I don't know like what it's about her. I want to, I now want to watch too hot to handle because of Chloe. Yeah. Um, she's just silly. And she just is like, my favorite is like, I cried laughing when she was like sweeping dirt or in like garbage, like under the rug. Yeah. It's just like, it was just like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> And just watching all of them cook is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're all funny. And Chloe's just naive. And, like, I think that makes her endearing in a lot of ways because, like, she's only 21. You think, like, if, if, for what I get, if you watch her on Too Hot to Handle, she's a complete ditz. So, oh, really? Oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> yeah, so, Wait, like. Please tell me, though, every time you watch, like, more than, like, two episodes in a row or whatever. Because, like, I binge everything. Yeah. So I'm, like, cooking food or, like, I'm about to leave. And I'm, like, circle, message. Yeah. Like, every time I'm, like, thinking about it, I'm, like, all right, circle, message, Mike. Yeah, of <laughs> course, like, I'll, I'll, like, like Monday works for us for yeah. a podcast. Yeah. It's just, like, so messes with my head. I was, like, watching to catch up the last five minutes. Spoiler yeah. alert. To make sure I was like, let me make sure I'm up to date on all the episodes, and I'm like, circle message, let's do <laughs> whatever. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just so funny. Like, imagine, if, like, because I always catch myself talking about that now. It's just so crazy. Yeah, I feel like this season has picked up more steam in the in the pop culture circle. I feel like it was not as big a deal season one. I feel like now more people are watching it. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm really upset because you told me to watch this like a year ago, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll get around to it, I'll get around to it, and then you're like, oh, season two, and I'm like, yeah, no, I'll totally watch it, and I did. I'm like, I'm so mad I didn't listen to Mike yeah. sooner because it was like the first season was like my all time favorite. Like, yeah, yeah. I like the second season and all, but like first season was so cute. Yeah, like it was just like so adorable. Yeah, it was definitely a very fun season. This season has been. I see the evolution of the game itself. It's like now there's more strategy in where people are trying to work together and they're trying to like form like form bonds of people to sort of get themselves further in the circle. And I think one of the best examples of this is like Courtney and River. Courtney is yeah. Courtney's himself. River is a, an author named Lee who's playing as a 24 year old named River. And 
We love Lee, though, right? I yeah. hope you like Lee. Yeah, Lee at the beginning was like 2-1, though, because he his whole thing was Rivers coming off a breakup, so he doesn't have to flirt. And uh-huh. he just hung on that too long. But, like, River is probably playing the best, everybody in there, because, like, in the last round, he ended up being, like, the se- the super secret influencer where he got picked number one and got to block somebody by himself. And River does a good job just staying out of the mess and has a good bond with Courtney where, like, Courtney's sort of, like, the bigger target of the two. So, like, people go out to Courtney for him. Yeah. yeah. But, like, tell me how cute it was, like, when the first, like, when they first go home and then, like, Lee's, like, crying. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry to see him. I'm like, I love this guy. Like, yeah. he's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, Lee is great. I love I love watching Lee work in here because Lee is, like, so you could tell there's a lot of river in him, like, when he's, like, talking to these people. And, like, he's very genuine with, like, how he wants to be. And it's, that's why the catfish works because it really is just him and a younger person's, like, pictures. Yeah, and uh, it's, like, uh, what's his name from last season? Yeah. Like, they really embody who their catfish is. Yeah, it was, like, like Seaburn last season because it was his yes. girlfriend, so. Yes, and, but, like, they were just being themselves. Yep. So it was just, like, so interesting. It's just, like, it sucks that they thought that they had to be somebody else to be liked and kept on. So it's just, like, such an interesting take on today's social media society, like, yeah. you know, the whole social aspect of it. Yeah, I think they're a lot of fun. I do think also the Chloe Trevor romance, I think, is so fun because oh, it's so funny. It's so funny because like Chloe in the span of the show was filmed for about like two weeks. It's been about like seven days. He's like falling head over heels for for the persona of Trevor. Oh my god! And she and he's just a girl from the Bronx. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. She's playing as her husband, and like she's like she's admitted to. She's like I feel bad leading Chloe on, but it is a game. I have to try and like keep myself here and like i just i'm looking forward to in the finale they have and they did they never season that season one they have a dinner where they finally the final five yes. players meet and find out who they look like in like face to face and one of the big shocks was last season when seaburn showed up as rebecca and shuby had a big bomb with rebecca so <laughs> that Roy broke his heart this is going to be the big one where i'm sure they're going to have trevor show up last and yes. leave chloe just sitting there like getting there with the mouth jaw on the floor. I'm waiting for that reaction. I know, but it's like nice because like, she was just so kind. She's like, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Cause like, yeah. I feel like that was a genuine, genuine like reaction when she felt bad that she yep. was like leading her on. But you know, she's, you know, she's just like, I have to do this for my daughter. I have to do this for my family. So, but she's funny too. I thought she was going to get given away by um, the Chicago, th- the big Chicago three. Yeah. The, uh, for the like the trivia question i'm like oh my gosh she's gotta get this this is so easy yeah yeah and one of the things that you, well, you brought up the games because what they do with these games is they sort of use these as opportunities to like test people to like expose like cracks in alliances and expose flaws in the catfishes and sort of test like your personas and see what you want to reveal and what you don't and two of them are great like trevor passed his catfish test where he's on a trivia game he had to identify the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman trio. Where, as Trevor should know that, like the, anybody should know that. Honestly, yeah. yeah but, but if you're playing as Trevor, who's wearing a Yankee hat in his profile picture, you should you should know who Michael Jordan's teammates are. So, yeah. Luckily, Trevor had had notes like prepared about key sports facts, so she was able to figure it out. The one that I want to get to, I think, was a lot of fun. Was my favorite challenge was the mannequin challenge. God, that was so hard to watch. Yeah, it was a crossover with Queer Eye from the Straight Guy. So I forget which. Remember who was the who was the guy from Queer Eye who was there? 
a Jonathan Van Ness. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So Jonathan Van Ness is there. It says, Hey, I'll give you a mannequin. I want you to make a mannequin that looks like you. So of course, Jack is Emily has no idea how to do makeup. And the mannequin is so terrible. It instantly exposes the Jack's catfish. Oh my God. That killed me. I was like, Oh my God, this guy's getting a shot down. And then, for a hot minute, he's like, no, I got it. We're good. I'm yeah. like, there's no way in any universe you're saved in any kind of, like, any possibility on this planet you're saved. And the worst part was, like, Jonathan was dragging Emily, who was Jack's persona, for, like, the makeup. I was like, oh, my God, honey, this is so terrible. <laughs> oh, my God. It was just, it was god-awful. And, like, also Lance Bass's, too, because, like, Lance would know how to put on his own makeup. Yeah, and like Jonathan also is friends with the real Lance Bass, so he's I don't think he was in on the joke that Lance was not actually there. He's like, Lance, yeah. I know that you've gotten you when you get your haircuts, you tell him how to do your hair, so you should know like how to how to style your own style the mannequin's hair. Because then you would think like maybe they would just do something like crazy stupid, like out of the blue, like you know what I mean? Like I don't know, like maybe just like do a different type of like wig just to like throw them off the scent. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe that would that would be my strategy if I didn't know how to do. Well, I actually can't do makeup, but I would be screwed because people think I would be a catfish. So that was me. That's all I thought about while watching that. I'd be like, I don't know how to do makeup. Yeah, I mean, like, also, Emily does a terrible job, like, explaining why it's bad. You can't say, like, oh, like, I dropped the, I dropped the, uh, I dropped. I forget what the main, I forget what the main thing is that he forgot to put on, like. Yeah, he, I mean, like, all the foundation. Oh, that's what like, it is, the foundation. He's like, I forgot to put the foundation. Like, I dropped it on the floor. It broke. I got stuck. So, I couldn't make an excuse up or anything. Just, like, yeah. <laughs> that and um, when he was, like, trying to explain the makeup, they're like, that's not a real makeup brand, buddy. Like, yeah. it was so funny. Yeah, this was this is another one of the games. This is also great where they had anonymous Q&As where you got to at another player and ask them questions. And Mitchell, who is the brother of Ed and his mom, and and mom, and the son of the mom from season one, he has the right idea. He's like, "Hey, Emily, what are your three favorite, like five favorite makeup brands?" And then Jack is in there scrambling because he's looking at the bottles that came with his supplies, trying to get one. He comes up with, I think Maybelline, I think Renee, sure, and then he says Collection Co. I'm like, that's just so made up. Oh my God, that was so funny. I love that. Like, I mean, it definitely like production wise, they like were going to pull them. Yeah. You know, what I mean? they had a whole idea for them. Like, think about it like unfun ways of watching reality TV. Yeah. But still sitting through that was so funny. Yeah, I think it was a, it's been a very fun season. So, who's been your favorite player so far? Who have you enjoyed? Since the beginning. Yeah. Hands down, Courtney's been my favorite. Yeah. I like Kat, of course. Yeah. Um, but like, I really grown to love river, but still hands down, Courtney's my favorite. And I just really hope he wins. I have a feeling he like, doesn't, but I still hope he really wins. Yeah. I love Courtney. Courtney is like, always has he cracking up whenever he's on the screen. He's, he's so funny. I will say though, I love watching Trevor work because Trevor is probably one of the most effective catfish I could ever imagine. Yes. And mm-hmm. like, she does such a good job and like, you know, like represent New York and everything. So yep. like, let's go. Like if she wins, I'm going to be so freaking proud. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I just like, ugh, I don't know. I'm just nervous. Like how they're going to react to each other. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I think in terms of the finale comes out this Wednesday, what happens is obviously they rate each other again. Whoever has the highest rating in the final five, ends up weighing the $100,000. And 
And they do the Lock in the Rings, and they have that dinner, and then they have a reunion show where the host, Michelle Buteau, who narrates. She's going uh, to reveal the results and catch up on players in the season. So I think yeah. the thing here is interesting is the strategy of it because season one is sort of like, okay, like a little, they're a little bit sort of like, okay, we're not going to raise Shuby too high. That's why he lost to Joey at the end. Mm-hmm. I think these people are going to be like so calculated about how they're going to rate each other, try and get themselves the best chance of the win. Yeah, I think so too. I feel like it's going to be anybody's game. Yeah. Like, I think honestly, it's like, I don't think Courtney can win. I'd love to see him win. I don't think he can. I think, yeah. I think it's going to be Rivers sneaks it out. I feel like people are going to be too wary of Chloe being popular. I might drop her a little bit. I think he's going to, River, River's going to sneak it out. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about me that thinks Trevor's going to win because yeah. I don't know. There's just something about him that he plays, like he plays under the rug, but also like in everybody's like pockets specifically that they don't know about. Yeah. So I feel like he's just a very likable guy. And then he plays like the single dad card so much. I feel like he might actually like pull through. Yeah. The one thing I'm watching here I think is interesting is the John persona, who which is Jack and Lisa are two eliminated catfish. And I'm going to be so pissed because that's like so dumb. Yeah, but the thing is, though, people try and attack it strategically, the rating system. I could see a lot of things like, you know what, I'll put John second because John yeah. is not going to do well. And then all of a sudden John ends up winning because he's got the highest average. That'd be so funny. But then, like, that sucks because they have to split it with two people. So it's just, like, why even bother? At the same time, they should have been out of the show. So I don't I don't think they'll complain if they're getting 50 grand each. Well, that's so true. Yeah. It's just, like, part of, like, you know, viewer-wise, I'm like, well, I just want one person to win, not those two numbskulls. No, I will say, though, like. Give it to Lance Bass. Like, you uh, know what I mean? Like, yeah. what is she going to do with it? That'll be fair. If they win, Jack gets most, she deserves most of that money because I don't know what Lisa has. <laughs> She doesn't do anything. Like, she's a probably lovely human being. Please don't get me wrong. I feel like I would love to sit down and have coffee yeah. with her. Yeah. Literally just to see, like, how it is to, like, be the personal assistant to Lance Bass. But you're right. Like, I don't feel like she contributes as much. But I know that we only get the production side, you know, of yeah. what we see is the production side. Maybe just John says the most outrageous shit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think – It'll be fun to see what happens. Again, the finale on Wednesday on Netflix. You can watch both seasons on there. Sam, thanks for all the time and coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. You know how I love coming on your podcast. Yeah, I do. And before I let you go, how do you follow social media or some of the stuff you're up to? Well, Twitter, S-D-E-R-O-S-6. And then on Instagram, on S-D-E-R-O-S-A-1-7-5. I will probably accept you. I'm on private, but am I really that private? No. (laughs) All right. Good to know. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, and that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests. First up, Joe Dalizio for breaking down the NFL draft and kicking off the fan forum. Also, the rest of the fan forum, Phil Lombardo, Troy Moriello, Ian Sachs, Martino Puccio, and Sam the Rhodes, our pop culture correspondent, also stuck around to break down the circle with me. And I thought it was a very fun conversation. It's a very fun show. I highly recommend you check it out if you have not done so yet. There's The finale's not out yet. You can binge the 12 episodes that are out there if you were so motivated, but I highly recommend watching this show. If you want to look at stuff like this podcast, including my look at what the NFL primetime schedule could look like in terms of games. Remember, 17th game this year, so extra primetime inventory, and the schedule comes out next week. Check out the blog over at justsendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, our favorite podcast platforms. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings as well. Help make the podcast even better going forward. You can also check out my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. All the individual conversations episode are up there. Each little fan forum is its own 
separate YouTube videos. That's going to be fun. You can check out my chat with Sam at the Circle, Joe about the draft in general. All that's on the YouTube page. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that will do for this week's podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to do our NHL catch-up. The hockey yoga season wrapping up. Enjoy that Pecan story. Also going to reunite the Sky Guys right on Clone Wars Season 4 and more. Until then, hope you have a better week than Raiders fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.